It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. You're very welcome to Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Thank you again for joining us on the show. A little bit later on, we'll be talking about loneliness and isolation. A lot of people feeling it at the moment. We've a great wee story from County Meath about a voluntary group who went collecting rubbish. You won't believe what they picked up. Stay with us to find out. And Sean Collins is with us. We begin a new 12-part series today on the show. We'll be coming back to this each month through the year, marking 100 years in Ireland and the North East since since 1921, a really historic year. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch with us on the show, the usual numbers apply 086-1800-658. That's the WhatsApp or text number, or you can call in an 1850-715-958. I am delighted to say hello again to the head of the Department of Biology, director of the Human Research Institute at Maynooth University, Professor Paul Miner. Hello, Paul. Good afternoon, Jerry. Good to chat. Good to chat to you too. And I sound upbeat, but you know, sure, show business yourself, Paul. But look, I sit here today being a realist. <laughs> I sit here today as well being a realist, I have to say to you, because when I, I sit back and think what's happened in uh, recent days, uh, no end in sight to the lockdown. It's indefinite at this stage. The vaccine distribution, certainly hiccups uh, on that front as well. And the scenario of people still travelling in and out of the country with very light touch restrictions. Paul, will you lift our moods today? Is there a positive out there at all that we can latch on to? I think the positive always comes back to the vaccine. That That is really just the, just the biggest tool we have, I think, in our toolbox in terms of being able to try to deal with the virus. Now, obviously, in the last day or so, we, over the weekend, we heard that the supply for AstraZeneca, that that wasn't going to be as it was originally intended, at least for the first in the first quarter. So I think we're going to get probably maybe 30 to 40 percent of what was originally planned for the first uh, three months. So that definitely is a setback. There's no point in saying otherwise. That is a setback, especially in terms of for vaccinating cohorts above uh, 70. So if you look at rolling it out over the next three months, the big focus is on vulnerable groups. We've already done really good work in terms of vaccinating uh, healthcare nursing homes, uh, healthcare workers, uh, and when that is complete, we then move to the over 70s. 
And that had been a graded response starting with the 85s, moving down then to the 80s, 75s, over 70s. Uh, so certainly it will affect that in terms of the timing of the vaccination. So that is a disappointment. But again, in terms of the vaccine will be one of our big tools that we will have to try to deal with this. So I, I'm still positive in the sense that we have the vaccine. I think Jerry would be having a very diff- different conversation if it was one where we had no vaccine. So the vaccines are, are our great hope. The numbers are coming down. We have to say that as well. Frightening the last time we spoke, we were up over 6,000 uh, most days. Last evening, what about 1,300 or so? They think it'll fall uh, again today. There has to be encouragement in that as well to say to people that the sacrifices that everybody is making at this time is proving positive in terms of results and numbers coming down. Yeah, and that's our number that we've often spoken about. That is below one, and that's a really good yeah. thing. Is that means then suppress the, the transmission of the virus is being suppressed, and it's really important to keep it under underneath that uh, or value of one. Uh, and I think what the or value is around one, you know, you can see sudden spikes where suddenly, you know, as we saw at Christmas time, numbers going up really, really high in a very short period of time. But on the opposite side of that, is we can also see numbers coming down pretty quickly, as we've seen. We've seen them coming down from... 6,000 down now to maybe 1,500 or so. Um, mm. So it's important to keep that all number below one. If we keep that all number below one, we keep suppressing transmission of the virus and we suppress and uh, we reduce its transmission. And that's really what we have to focus on in terms of trying to keep that number below one. That's the magical number. Do you see this, this indefinite lock, lockdown going well, beyond the 5th of March, right through March, perhaps into April, because there's just no, they've said, all right, they're going to look at aspects of education. That's all they've spoken about at the moment in terms of government and an effort and all the advice they're getting. Should we brace ourselves for a now really extended period into late spring? I think the numbers before Christmas, the high numbers before Christmas frightened a lot of people. I think frightened public health, it's frightened the government. I think as a result, I think the government's going to be very cautious in terms of lifting the restrictions because of the spike and the very significant spike that we saw before Christmas. So I think you're going to see a very conservative uh, approach. I still think, Jerry, we've spoken about it many times, I still think we have to try to reach uh, a balance. There is a sense now and there's a lot of discussion around going for zero COVID and trying to get down to zero cases. That's an enormous challenge and a number of small number of countries have achieved that but are characterised by the fact that they move very early. I could see us, that being successful with us maybe last March, very early on when we moved very strongly and that not alone moved very strongly but also in terms of sealing our borders but again, we, we've had this now for about a year or so. It's very difficult. Once the numbers have begun expanding, the numbers go up, it's very difficult to get back to that stage. So I, I'm not sure, Jerry. I think we still have to look at a balance, especially in terms of schools and the opening of schools, because it does come with enormous costs. Lockdowns come with enormous costs. So I think we do have to be mindful of that. But I'm also cognizant of the fact that people were really scared in terms of the high numbers. Our healthcare system is under severe stress. Um, so obviously we have to keep that in mind as well. But when numbers are high, absolutely a proportional response is, whereas a society as a whole, we, we uh, use these powers of, you know, these restrictions, these really strong restrictions to try to suppress numbers. But as we get numbers down to a more manageable level, and especially I tend to look at the positivity rate of our testing, 
as we get that below 4% at the moment, it's around 7%. Once it goes above 3 or 4%, public health effectiveness is greatly reduced. We just can't cope with those numbers. And then we have to have these sort of societal lockdowns. But when we get it down to a more manageable level for our public health infrastructure can help more i think then we need to have that conversation in terms of can we begin to open up various sectors but especially schools schools are a really important one in terms of opening and opening as early as possible you've mentioned seasonality in the past past and i've been conscious of this it is a virus the flu we know is seasonal as well even though there's very little of it this year ironically but you get spikes at this time of the year as well and you've always been an advocate to say that look as these uh, difficult months move by, that will help as well. And, and that's important, isn't it, Paul, to keep that in mind too? That's my sense. Now, that's, 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 that's my view. Some people may not necessarily agree with it, but I think there's a general strong view now emerging that there is seasonality associated. And that seasonality has many different aspects, not only in terms of the environment itself, but also in terms of behaviour. We're spending more time inside. So with that in mind, at, in December, when those numbers were... I think the seasonality element was our enemy at that stage. And, you know, these types of viruses tend to peak in December and January. However, as we go out towards the spring months, early summer months, I think the Netherlands are friend. And I think you will see a natural waning of the virus. Now, not disappearance of the virus. These viruses don't disappear. I can see with time this virus becoming endemic where, you know, you will see outbreaks during the winter months like many of the other respiratory viruses. But certainly I think in combination with the vaccine, the natural waning, whatever restrictions are in place, I, I, I would be hopeful, Jerry, of seeing ourselves in a more positive place, you know, come those late spring, early summer months. Uh, and I think, you know, our numbers will be very low at that stage. And very importantly, the people who are most at risk, older people, those with underlying conditions, so at that stage, they would have been vaccinated. So it will also protect those who are directly vulnerable as well. I watched Tomás Ryan from Trinity, I'm sure you know him, uh, with Claire Byrne last night and his three-pronged attack, chase, crush and contain. Crush being the lockdown, which we are all part of at the moment. Uh, Chasing it, you know, trace, test and trace. You've been on about this all the time and even bring it down to a local county level. He's on about this, regionalising it uh, in in the event of an outbreak here or there. And the third one he's talking about and he has talked about for some time is quarantine and containing it at our ports and airports. More and more, what he has been saying for a long time, and I know he's been dismissed by a lot of people, seems to be ringing true more and more. What about that quarantine and making sure people who come to this country, or if you leave this country uh, to go on holidays and come back, really serious quarantine for 14 days? So quarantine works, and it works well when numbers are low, Jerry. So with respect to outside travel, when our numbers are really high, the contribution that's made from travel is relatively low but when our numbers are really low then cases imported from outside of Ireland can make a very significant impact so especially as numbers get lower and are reduced I think quarantine becomes sort of certainly something to discuss look at those countries who have employed quarantine very effectively you know New Zealand Australia the bottom line there it almost almost has to be perfect it has to be really really strong and has in my view if it were to be implemented it would have to be policed and again, in the real world, I think in theory, it's, it's a great idea. But in the real world, in the real world and of our country at the moment in terms of Ireland, I can't see how effective quarantine would be because we have a land border. And it's impossible to seal that land border. So unless maybe it's a two-island approach, and I think it's mentioned last night as well on one of the TV shows, 
unless there's a two island approach between Ireland and the United Kingdom, uh, I don't see how quarantining and you know at the Dublin ports and ports here in in the south of Ireland, if there is an open land border with Northern Ireland, these people will simply fly into Belfast and move down into the Republic. So it has to be all or none in my response, in my uh, view. And again, I think you have to be realistic and live in the real world. And if in the real world says this is not possible, I'm not sure why you would plan a strategy based on that. If it's realistically possible, yes. But if not, I'm not sure why you would plan a strategy around that. I know we're only at the end of January, but... As regards holidays and looking ahead to the summer and autumn of the year, holidays at home, tourists coming to Ireland, Irish people travelling abroad, is it looking more like that 2021 is gone? I think the narrative has changed. So for the first time now in the last week or so, and even last night I heard Tornish there, you know, some consideration has been given to introducing central quarantine. And obviously that would tend to suppress travel. Um, so I think the narrative there is probably changing. I think people will be tr- dissuaded again from travelling abroad. But again, I think the discussion may change as we move into the early summer months. And hopefully I think we will see numbers significantly decreasing to quite low levels. Uh, and that would be my hope. And I think at that stage, the combination with the vaccine and hope and protection for that, you know, countries with high vaccination rates like Israel, where hospitalizations, especially in the over 65s, have been greatly reduced. So I think when you begin to see numbers going down, hospitalizations greatly reducing, I think again, it will come again in terms of what restrictions should we lift, and which of them we should, and by how much. And that includes uh, travel. Now, it does become more relevant, Jerry, as the numbers go down. I think the discussion around quarantine becomes more of a discussion point when the numbers are low, lower, ironically. I think when the numbers are very high, the contribution from travel is relatively small. But when our numbers are low, we want to keep them low, then it becomes a major point for discussion. Masks are uh, in the spotlight again. And once more, we've known all along that masks are so important, despite the fact that there's a small element who disagree with this, but they are vital. But the quality of the mask now is a thing that's been focused on. You know, a lot of people uh, got to, to their sewing machines and lots of masks and fantastic ones have been made in homes and uh, in little clubs up and down the country and people are wearing them. Where do you stand on that? Do you think it's time to say, look, really, we need to use medical grade masks? Um, I think there is uh, some covering of better than none. Um, <coughs> excuse me, um, I think that, you know, in countries like Germany, they're proposing now that we should move to more use of surgical masks. I think if the supply is there, definitely we should go in that direction because surgical masks do give a more um, high-tech ones like FFP2 masks. They certainly give more protection. So I think if the supply is there, we should certainly use them. It depends, so long as it doesn't take away from the supply of, you know, where they should be prioritised, for example, healthcare workers and those in most need of them. But certainly where availability is present, I think we should use as high a spec ones as possible because some of the high spec ones not only could protect you from being infected by me if I'm wearing the mask, but they can also give me protection as well with the high grade ones in terms of getting infected from somebody who is already infectious. So I think if available, if available in, in the required numbers, I think definitely we should try to move in that direction, but provided it doesn't take them away from where they're 
uh, needed with highest priority. Final question, putting you on the spot a bit here. Do you have confidence in the government and in NEFIT and the rollout of the vaccine? Have you confidence that, you know, and I know this is a new scenario, but like we're almost a year at this now and we've we've got to have taken lessons from our own situation and others as well. Do you have confidence that, you know, the focus is right, the strategy is right? First thing I'll say there, Joanna, I have been critical in some aspects in terms of you know public health and uh, the government last year. But it's a very, very difficult challenge. And I think sometimes in terms of when solutions are proposed, the solutions which, you know, sometimes I think downplays in terms of how difficult it is to control this virus. And even I know the government got very severe criticism before Christmas in terms of opening up and the numbers going high. But again, from the government's point of view, I can absolutely see in terms of how they have to make a balanced decision. They're not only considering public health, but many other aspects, um, you know, of making decisions around economy, livelihoods, all those various aspects that they have to consider. So it is a tough job, I think. It, it can be unpredictable at times. Like people say, oh, we should have seen that, those high numbers. I don't know if anybody predicted the high numbers to that level. Uh, certainly, as you ease restrictions, yes, numbers will go up. But would you have predicted that it was going up to that high level? I'm not sure anybody really predicted that it had gone up. And if the government had been made aware that numbers were going to go up that high, I don't think they would have uh, opened up and loosened uh, restrictions. So it's a tough job. I think in all of these decisions, there are only trade-offs. It's very difficult to come up with a perfect solution. It's impossible to come up with an easy solution. And anybody, Jerry, who proposes an easy solution, I just don't believe those solutions, because if that was the case, every country in the world would be doing it. It's really, really difficult to control the virus. This is sort of a natural pressure. This is nature where viruses, this is what viruses do to transmit really efficiently. They're really difficult to control. The mutate, as we've seen, there's, like, there's enormous biological pressure going on there. They're really difficult things to control. So I think we have to recognize that, do as best as we can, and use the tools and technology. I think we probably could use some of the technology better. I think we could use uh, testing better and absolutely all of the resource, resources, all of our time, all of our priorities have to go into the vaccination. This vaccination is the tool that's going to get us out of this. Paul, as usual, thank you so much for your time today on the show. I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jerry. Professor Paul Moyna there, Head of the Department of Biology, Director of the Human Research Institute at Minute University with his viewpoint on COVID this afternoon. If you have a view, if, a, if you have an opinion, love to hear from you. 086-1800-658. That's the magic number. Put it in your phone. Keep it close by. You can get in touch with me directly on WhatsApp or text on that number. Back in a moment with more on Late Lunch. Thank you, Breed. On Clareburn last night, we had another demonstration on how to wear a mask. Very simple. Cover securely nose and mouth and don't touch the mask itself. Only use the straps. Yet, Jerry, on all the soaps and programmes on television, masks are taken on and off. No problem. Rolled up in the hand and then used again. Surely they should lead by example, says Breed. Good one. <laughs> 
a good point and a point well made. I saw that demonstration myself and it's very particular and the hands need to be sanitised and you need to be careful with it and dispose it. Um, and, and uh, you know, uh, you've noticed that breed. Has anyone else seen that on the TV programmes or whatever, how uh, flippantly masks are treated? Um, and by the way, says Breed, uh, just on yesterday's topic, Jerry, about the dog fouling, uh, feed your dog in the morning, take them outside into your own backyard or garden to do their toilet, and then there's less chance of your dog fouling the paths when you take them out for a walk. Thank you, Breed. And that's a point well made indeed. Let me read this one to you. It came in right at the end of the show yesterday from Richard. Jerry, I have great admiration for your guest, Joe. That was Joe Hamill we spoke to yesterday, doing 10K a day for Crumlin. And uh, Richard goes on, and his support for Crumlin Children's Hospital. And there are thousands like Joe all around the country doing similar wonderful fundraisers for a range of needy charities and causes. However, I believe these people are being exploited by our civil servants and government. You see, I believe they're doing the government or the state's bidding. The millions being raised allows the government off the hook to abdicate their responsibilities. They're quite happy for hard-working, tax-paying people to plug the gaps in funding that any decent government would and should do. Call a halt and let's see what happens. The government would simply have to step up to the mark and provide funding to meet the shortfall. In my book, Jerry, the government must pay. That comes in from Richard. Interesting, isn't it? Make you think, wouldn't it, all the people doing their damnedest, doing the government's bidding, Richard says there. What do you think? Have you an opinion on that? Has he a point? Has Richard a point there? You know, that people are just taking up the slack and the government are happy for them to do it. If you have an opinion, love to hear from you. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text, or you can call in on 1850-715-958. Let's have an old song. It's Peter Satira from Chicago. Yeah, Peter Satira from Chicago. And the glory of love on late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Jerry, you do realise we were down to three cases on June 28th and the 29th of June, they opened up the restaurants and retail and it just spread like wildfire all over the place. If we'd only waited, says a listener this afternoon. Thanks indeed. And lovely to hear from Carmel McCarthy. Carmel, of course, one of our women with opinions to say, looks desperate at the moment, Jerry, but there is hope. There is light. Keep the chin up, everybody, and let's dig in for the moment, and it will be better as the year moves on. Lovely to hear from you, Carmel, on the show this afternoon. News and weather on the way, and after two o'clock, Sean Collins begins a new series with us, reflecting on a 100 years on from 1921. Sean, how are you? Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? Welcome to I'm... 2021. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, I just want to let listeners know that you will be joining us each month through this very historic year to reflect on the events of the month here in the Northeast and, of course, in the country as well. Sean, you might context for listeners first, please, the significance of this centenary. Well, um, the year ahead marks the 100th anniversary of the establishment of Stormont and the foundation of the Northern Ireland Parliament under the terms of the Government of Ireland Act. George V in June 1921, at the opening of Stormont, expressed a hope to all Irishmen to pause, to stretch out the hand of forbearance and conciliation, to forgive and forget, and to join in making for the land they love a new era of peace, contentment and goodwill. In review and commemoration, I wonder will the centenary meet the good king's aspirations? 
it should be noted that under the terms of the Act, it was superseded by the Anglo-Irish Treaty in December of 1921, which granted what Lloyd George had promised he would never grant, dominion status for Ireland. Uh, the Department of Tourism, Arts and Culture, the Gaeltox Sport and Media, that's a mouthful, has confirmed <laughs> that the expert advisory group on centenary commemorations has recommended that a formal commemoration for all those who lost their lives during the struggle for independence be held on July the 11th on or a suitable date close to the centenary. Um, it will show you how important the year it was for Ireland and the change in face of Ireland, both north and south. And the, we had both the Government of Ireland Act and then the treaty. And we were launched in early uh, 21 into a very, very nasty war. You know, when you consider the background to uh, 1921 in the opening year, uh, in August of 1920, uh, Thomas McCorton, the Lord Mayor of Cork, was murdered. Uh, in the 20th of September, uh, Kevin Barry, a young IRA volunteer, was hanged. On the same night in Balbriggan, two policemen were murdered and 150 black and tans from Garmentstown camp came out and burned down the town, uh, killing two locals, uh, Gibbons and Lawless, and burning down almost 50 houses and businesses in the town itself. In October, Terence McSweeney died on hunger strike, highly charged, uh, promoted event that was known all over Ireland. On the 24th of November, Bloody Sunday, Crow Park, the murder of the British Secret Serviceman by Collins' squad, and the subsequent killings in Crow Park on the, at the Sunday match. 28th of November at Kilmichael, Tom Barry led his flying column against the convoy of auxiliaries, and 17 of them were killed. Martial law is declared all over Ireland, uh, particularly in the south, I should say, not, not all over, that's a bit of an exaggeration. But on the 30th of November, to bring it close to home, uh, Patrick Tierney and John O'Carroll were taken from their lodgings in RD and shot on the street by members of the RAC. Uh, so that's bringing it right to our doorstep, Jerry, and it will show people the tumultuous year that we were entering into, and that's the year we will be commemorating this year. And we think we've got problems at this time. Not taking away from them, we have huge problems, just not in Ireland and the world. But the people of those times, it was fractious, Sean. Can I just ask you something in a general sense here? And I've heard this many times over the year, that with all that ensued from 1916 on, there's still a, um, a bank of belief out there that home rule would have been granted and none of this might have happened. What's your view on that? Well, that's the, <laughs> that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? When you think of it, um, the Government of Ireland Act uh, was the act that was put in place to introduce partition. And that effectively divided Ireland between six counties and 26 counties. But the war went on, regardless of the fact that the act was put in place. Uh, practically, uh, coincidentally, um, negotiations were going on in the background and when Stormont was opened by the King in June of 21, the truce came into play. The war ceased because negotiations were going on in the background. 
But when you come in, if you take January 1921, 99 deaths in one month directly related to the struggle for independence. The dead of the Irish Revolution, a new publication by Yunano Halpin, highlights the fact that 99 people died in that month alone, starting with uh, Francis Malone, an RAC member who was killed in Bally Bay on the 4th of January, and a, a, a passing bystander called John Somerville was also killed. So that's mm. keeping us in our vicinity. But um, throughout the year, or throughout the month, uh, there is practically one or two deaths every day. So nowadays, uh, we are sadly listening every day for the amount of COVID deaths. So whatever media the Irish people were listening to or reading from in 1921 was reporting the same thing, deaths. Deaths, young men were dying all around the country. When you look at the locale here, uh, when you peruse the newspapers for the area, there's constant turmoil going on in the towns of both Loud and Mead. Uh, the Drawn Independent reported that on the 8th of January, martial law had been extended to all of Munster and Kilkenny and Wexford. Slain was full of military activity with houses being raided. Oh, by the way, cars were speeding up to 20 miles per hour through Balbriggan. That was a complaint that was made at the time. Uh, Thomas and Patrick Donan of Kilberry were arrested and charged with IRA membership. Drawda houses were being raided by both the authorities and the group pretending to be IRA. There seems to have been a lot of lawlessness apart from the factions within the war situation. Uh, in Drogheda, a group of 17 men were arrested and charged with posing as members of the Black and Tans for the purpose of uh, robbing houses in the newfound well and Newtown Taliban area. In Balbriggan, telegraph lines were cut down and there could be no communication with the capital uh, because of the activities of the local uh, IRA men. In, in Mead, it reported exciting highway encounters. Outside Navan, the mail van driver, James Corrigan, had disappeared. A man that um, drove the mail van from Navan to Trim every day literally disappeared uh, after an ambush on the road there. And it didn't tell us, by the way, if uh, poor Mr. Corrigan was ever found or released. I hope he was. Gallo mm. Cross and Staffordstown Hill the mails were raided there. Longwood police barracks was attacked. Bridges were blown up at Minority and Carlinstown Bridge. So it seems as if Sean Boylan and his men were very busy in, in Mead. In Dundalk, James McGill, who had been, who'd been on the run for some months, was arrested in late January. Um, in Kells, the police station was attacked. Bewley Bridge outside Drogheda at 4pm on a Sunday a crossroads Cayley was being held. It was raided by lorry loads of blackened hands who had been searching houses in Mornington and saw the Cayley happening across the river. They drove up the Marsh Road and down along the North Quay to Bewley and they rounded up all the people, particularly the young men, many of them believed to be former soldiers, and they marched them to Millmount. So all the time, Jerry. 
normal life was being interrupted by these activities. That's what yeah. Ireland was in January 1921. While we didn't My... have many fatalities in this area, thank heaven, so although you will see as the months go on, we will have a few, um, it was a hive of discontent. I think that's perhaps the best way you might describe it. Uh, people were becoming very active in their role to secure independence. And day-to-day normal life was just overrun by all this. And to remind people that this period we're talking about was actually the War of Independence, which was subsequently followed by uh, the Civil War. And the War of Independence began in January 1919 and ran until the middle of this centenary year, uh, the 11th of July 1921. Um, When you talk about it, and we will be talking about uh, this in the middle part of the year, was the agitation, like what you mentioned there, like was fractious, Sean, but was the agitation growing all the time? Were numbers uh, joining the rebellion uh, on the rise? Did they feel they were making progress? And were the British side getting tired of this? Uh, The British were getting very tired of it because all over the country, uh, their soldiers and policemen were being murdered. uh, And they couldn't seem to suppress the activities of the IRA on a countrywide basis. Because, after all, on the guerrilla war situation, uh, the guerrilla army had the people on their side. And uh, it's been proven many, many time and time again that when the people are on the side of the protagonists, uh, the protagonists will usually win out in the end. Look at the Americans in Vietnam, probably the greatest example of all time. Uh, Ireland, in many ways, was similar. The people were on the side of the insurrectionists, of the rebels, uh, nationalists, call them what you will. But lawlessness was becoming more and more a factor of Ireland in January 1921. And on uh, talking about uh, then the, the uh, what they'd be called, the insurrectionists, you know, there were casualties on that side as well. You know, people, young people were dying, people were losing, and you were up against the might of, of the British Empire at that stage. What was the, the view from that side? Well, you know, many, many young people were perhaps dragged into it in some ways. Uh, One of the things I hope to do as we go on over the next couple of months is perhaps look at some of the people that had the misfortune to die and maybe examine them as ordinary people rather than as uh, Republican icons, which many of them have become. Uh, They also had a life out from all that. And many found themselves caught in a situation where uh, they just, were in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and died, sadly. It was uh, the worst of times in ways for people at that time because you must remember communications were primitive, Sean, as well. There wasn't a lot of work about. Ireland was a desperately struggling place. It was indeed. But at the end of the day, Ireland was a colony. It was a feeding ground for England. And, and uh, that's the reality of it, no matter how how many ways people want to twist it and present it. Um, you know, we had come through uh, some terrible years, to say the least, through the 17, 18 and 1900s, which festered into rebellion, I always believe. Mm. 
And uh, there's a lot to talk about in 1921. There is for sure as we go on. And next month, we have a particularly local uh, angle on events uh, at that time a century ago. Sean, you've set the scene today. You've painted the picture what January was like 100 years ago. I thank you for doing that. And we'll be back to you for part two in the month of February. Thank you so much indeed, Sean. Thank you, Jerry. Sean Collins, historian there, painting a picture of what it was like. I mean, you think of, you know, we we are, we're all tuned into the uh, news every day, waiting for word of uh, the numbers, the uh, sadly, the number of people who've lost their lives as well. And when you think of the numbers Sean talked about back then as well, the huge numbers of uh, people losing their lives in the struggle for Irish freedom. But a significant year, this is uh, 100 years since 1921, and we'll be marking it through the months in 2021 here on your late lunch on LMFM radio. Hi, Jerry. Peter's uh, on to me from RD. He says, the reason people are leaving Facebook and Twitter in millions is censorship. Both of these platforms are not allowing free speech as far as COVID-19 or vaccines is concerned. Anyone with an alternative view to the narrative is blocked and shut down uh, like the, in the mainstream media. And you're in that bracket yourself, Peter says, in LMFM, not reporting what's really going on. Well, that's, I have to take issue with that. I really do, Peter. We do report what's going on and report it faithfully and honestly. Peter goes on to say, like 53 people have died of the Pfizer vaccine in Gibraltar, an enclave of 32,000 people since January the 9th, and it's not reported in the mainstream media. Neither will they let Professor Dolores Cahill on TV to debate with Tony Holland or other, any other pro-vaccine medic. Uh, that's a dictatorship we now live in, says Peter Inardi. Well, Peter, you're entitled to your views, but I have to say to you, your views are in the tiny minority, but you're entitled to them. I do say that as well. But I would totally disagree with you. We report the news here faithfully and honestly every day. Everything, like everything we do at the station with integrity, I have to say. And, you know, you talk about... uh, uh, free speech. Well, there's a fella called Trump had a good bash at free speech, hadn't he? For how many years on social media? But he went that little bridge too far. He just stepped too far. And Peter, have a look round you in the community. Do you think these people are dying of good health? Well, do you think that people are are not dying of COVID nineteen? Do you see the pictures and the faces of people of all ages who are dying with this? How virile it is that every country in the world is locked in a battle with this thing. Does the penny not drop it with you there? And vaccines, I say it again, I am pro-vaccine. I am pro-vaccination. And I'll be forced in the queue to take the vaccination whenever my turn comes and I'll wait my turn. And I believe in vaccines and I believe in the truth and I believe in honesty. And of course, there are people who are on the other side who are conspiracy theorists and doubt everything and question everything and they're entitled to it. But it's not me, I have to say, and not the majority of people. And there are things wrong, I say to you, Peter, in this world and things I question myself from time to time. And it is good to question. But it is important to realise that COVID-19 is deadly. It's killed millions in the world, thousands and thousands across the various countries of the world, including Ireland here. It is a reality. And our hope, as you heard at the top of the show with Professor Paul Moyner, who's an RD man like yourself, and a very clever, intelligent man and a decent man, our hope is vaccination. That is the real hope to solve this. Like we've been vaccinated against measles and mumps and rubella and many, many other things that have saved millions of lives in this world. Very important to open your eyes as well 
and look at the reality in front of you and the truth. Peter, thanks for your message. I do appreciate it. Anyway, let's have Mark Ronson and uh, Valerie. Now, next Saturday, there's a bumper selection of live Premier League matches available on the LMFM app or by clicking on the Listen tab on the LMFM website. The big game, of course, is Arsenal against Manchester United, the league leaders from the Emirates Stadium. Kick-off for that match is half-five, and we'll also have live commentaries on matches at half-twelve. To get closer to the action with Premier League Live, you can with Now TV. Stream all the action from Sky Sports on the Now TV Sky Sports Pass. So Premier League action all the way on Now TV and LMFM Radio next weekend. We are returning to uh, We Feature. We're carrying on late lunch. First one last week was all about physical exercise. It's called Keeping Well in the Community, and it sees Meath and Loud County Councils coming together to uh, with this new programme, and we're talking about it on the show. Week two on late lunch of Keeping Well in Your Community, and today I'm joined on the show by Anya Bird. She's the Meath Age-Friendly Programme Manager, and Ita Healy will be with us. She's chairperson of the Older Persons Council in Meath. Welcome to the show. Anya, start with yourself. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thanks for having Thank- us. Not at all. You're very welcome to the show. Look, today we're going to talk about uh, loneliness and isolation as the theme of our chat this afternoon. Tell us, Anya, what's the feedback from the communities about this? Uh, I take it it's a huge issue, even greater at this time or since the uh, outbreak of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, Jerry. If I could just explain, um, I'm the Mead Age Friendly Program Manager, and for me, mentioned the Age Friendly Program is talking and working with persons of 55 years and upwards. And, you know, yourself, people are living longer and healthier lives. But, of course, we need to prepare a county for a place where people can grow and live um, their lives, be it at home or in the community. So it's often the simple things that will improve one's quality of life, uh, be it a secure neighbourhood or accessible streets and so forth. So, um, Jerry, as you say, if, if you design for the young, you exclude the old. But if you design for the old, you include everyone. So you can't go wrong there. So um, with our programme, we commenced here in um, Meath in 2011. It's a national programme, and we link into Age Friendly Ireland, who oversee the entire programme nationally in all of the, uh, the counties across Ireland. And again, uh, Age Friendly Ireland work with government departments and link into the World Health Organisation. We're affiliated with them. So um, believe it or not, Jerry, uh, uh, Ireland became the first age-friendly country in the world back in 2019 um, when the World Health Organization came over and launched and affiliated Ireland to this, to, to the global network. So look, through the age-friendly program, I work with older persons and I'm part of the community response uh, forum, which has been set up with the various agencies in the response to the pandemic. And yes, we've, we've been, um, you know, uh, we've got a, a helpline there, a free phone helpline there and taken in calls. And people are seeking, you know, assistance with maybe a lift to an appointment or maybe a food delivery or medication um, or even a simple chat, Jerry, because people are feeling very isolated, feeling very vulnerable, and they're just not sure where to go, what to do, afraid to go out. So, look, our free phone number is there, you know, seven days a week, nine to five. Our team are there on hand to assist 
um, anybody who has a query or looking for assistance or for a chat because we work for the community guards out there, Jerry, and they will go out and, you know, stand the two metres and take precautions if you just simply want to say hello to somebody or even if you want your paper delivered. So, you know, at the start of the of, of lockdown, Jerry, um, we saw a lot of uh, queries coming in on people seeking assistance. But now, as people are getting through the different phases, we're now um, going through the keep well phase. And this is keeping people motivated, keeping people um, uh, doing activities or reading or knitting and so forth. So we've got a lot of different activities, Jerry, online um, through the County Council's website. And I would encourage everyone to get involved and go online, if at all possible. If not, please phone and let us know and We'll try and get hard copies out or um, look at some other way of delivering this activity to the person. So there's lots going on, Jerry, but yeah. you know, we, have to, we have to look after everybody out there. And, you know, there are people out there that perhaps have fallen through the cracks or there's a gap there that we just can't reach out to them or we're unaware that they're out there. So if somebody knows someone that they feel that needs a phone call or some sort of assistance, please get in contact with us through our free phone number. So, Which is 1-800-808-809. 1-800-808-809 is the free phone number. Let me bring Ita into the conversation. Ita, hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'll put the same question to you, and maybe you're in a better position being out there in the community to answer this for me. Loneliness and isolation. How big an issue is it? I think it is uh, probably in the second lockdown, it is a huge issue. I think um, earlier on, the first lockdown wasn't so bad. It was a better time of the year. The evenings were longer, so on and so forth. I think this time from November, I think this is getting us older people down quite a lot. But happily, as um, a member of the Older People's Council, you know, the way we get involved, we're, we're there to get to help. We're part of the programme and uh, there to help. And two of the items, that, two of the initiatives, the age-friendly initiatives that were made, I think really came into their own during lockdown. One was the ACORN project. It's an age-friendly tablet. But this is Pilot's. It will be two years back now. And um, Pilot is in, in three of the local authorities. And it's just so easy to use. It's a tablet that is made specifically really for older people. Brilliant for beginners, brilliant for people that have uh, visual or dexterity issues. It is just so clear, so easy to read. And um, there is also a, a personal ID number where you can have, say, family members can support their um, loved ones via yeah. it. Um, by a video call, not just your Zoom and your WhatsApp, which, of course, you can do. It's the same as every other tablet. It's just you're guided to the different places so yes. easily and simply. And then from that, it was a short step. The group of us from, they were looking for volunteers. Uh, age, uh, the library is online and Age Friendly Ireland uh, collaborated for us to train older people to be able to use... Um, the BorrowBox app, uh, to be able to download their books, to read or to listen to, because, of course, that was one of the things that you couldn't go into your library and collect your yes. books as normal. And, I mean, reading is such a lifeline to uh, anybody. 
Um, so uh, we were trained to train our older peers. And uh, so anyways, we were able to um, uh, teach them to download the BarraBox and to get either their audio or um, their e-books. And yes, so- I do have, I have no doubt that they'll continue to use it. But not only was this a lifeline for the people who had requested to get on this, it's also a lifeline to be part of the Older People's Council. It's, mm. it's terrific. It's a great time to be old in that we have the engagement with the council, being able to meet these other people via the phone, albeit. But it's, it's a fantastic uh, opportunity. And, of course, it's a great time to be growing old to have age-friendly Ireland programmes uh, there to, to help us with whatever issues. We're so much luckier than older people in the past. Where, yes. You know, well, so we have it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to hear you say that, that there's uh, been a huge advance forward in inclusion, in including you and bringing you up to speed. And I'm, I'm familiar with the ACORN and the other project as well. They're wonderful because in their own ways, they're making older people IT savvy, which means they are connected and they can keep, uh, you know, visiting their library online and staying in contact in many, many ways. It's terrific. So you feel the lot, your lot is better at this stage. But here's the other thing, uh, Eda, just one quick thing. Yes. It's still important, isn't it, to pick up the phone and make a phone call to say hello to somebody? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, I volunteer with Age Well, which uh, is run out of third age, and we normally would visit people, um, and uh, there's um, the health check app on a phone that, um, it's a really well set up, um, um, as some call it, a befriending on steroids. <laughs> it does a lot more than just the befriending. But at the yeah. minute, because we can't visit, we ring our um, people, um, we ring them uh, a couple of times in the week. And that right. contact, it is great for them, but it's also great for us. I mean, sure. volunteering us as I, th- I think it's 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 just it's brilliant. It's it's mm. um, it in itself is a great thing to do. You know, it certainly we make is friends with the people that we uh, visit. Um, so you're sort of concerned about oh, it might be anything. It might be a problem that belong that that one of their children has because we share an amazing amount. So it's yes. it's good for both the the people we visit. But it's also great. It's very rewarding for us. It so. certainly is. Let's bring Anya back into the conversation. God, Eta Healy, I have to say, she's the poster girl for age-friendly <laughs> programmes, Anya, isn't she? you gotta, you got to believe that, Jerry. Now, I work with Eta, uh, the, the Older Persons Committee, part of the council, so we work together very closely um, on any age-friendly initiative. So, so Eta represents the older person within the county, and she sits on our Age-Friendly Alliance Committee. We meet quarterly. So if there's any issues um, amongst her older persons, she brings them to the table and we try and resolve it locally, or if not, we bring to government. So it's all about, you know, uh, ensuring the older person will have um, a, a good county to grow old in, uh, be it at home or in their community. So, you know, my programme works with um, the uh, a lot of the various agencies, such as the um, Angarda Síochána, the HSE Third Age Foundation, Flexibus, uh, Me Partnership, 
Um, my chief executive sits on the committee, Later Life Network and so forth. So, you know, we're always working there in the background trying to improve our county, be it, you know, um, improving access to different buildings, looking after the footpaths, um, transportation, um, ensuring now our next initiative we're rolling out shortly is an age-friendly business town where we're getting all the businesses on board um, and getting them, encouraging them to ensure that their business inside and out is age-proof, age-friendly yes. proofed. And this will then get more of the older persons into their business because older persons, they're great at spending money locally and they're loyal customers. So um, we're rolling this out now in the next few weeks, so across the county. And um, that's just one of all the initiatives we, yeah. we've done. We've, 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 um, we've got age-friendly housing. We have uh, housing up in Proudson and Avon, which um, is age-friendly proofed for the older person inside and outside, that they're close to the services, they're close to the bus stop, and they can, they're in walking distance of the doctor and the shops and so forth. Mm. So, so there's so much so going on across yeah. the board so with everything so we have to say. So yeah, there really is. And I yeah. just want to give that number out again for Meath Community Support. It's one 800 808-809. Pick up the phone and call uh, them at any stage. It's a free phone number. Ladies, I have to leave it there for today. Thank you so much for me. And again, keeping well in your community, there's a lot happening out there. And uh, make sure to get in touch if you're feeling lonely or isolated. Isa Healy, on your board. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you Jerry. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Two wonderful women there working away. And there is a lot. Great to hear Ida saying that uh, about the way uh, th- their lot has improved uh, for the uh, person uh, going on in years, growing older. And it's wonderful to hear. And that's it. And uh, she's a lovely saying there on you. You know what I mean? Involving everybody in this initi- initiative is so important. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Tuesday afternoon. Well, after the break, we're going to hear a story from the Royal County again out uh, Kentstown, Walderstown way of um, a volunteering initiative that's yielded wonderful results. Uh, Peter's been back on to say, Jerry, I never denied COVID existed. You quoted me incorrectly there, uh, there. Um, all I'm saying is it's been exaggerated out of all bounds. So big pharmaceuticals can make trillions. End of story. Uh, exaggerated, Peter. <clears throat> you should take a trip uh, to... Uh, the A&E department or intensive care in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, the main hospital in the region here, and have a look for yourself. In fact, on late lunch tomorrow, Peter, you should listen in because I'm interviewing a man who's been in there and just come out luckily with his life. But Peter, you should just take a trip to the hospital. In fact, don't, Peter. They won't want you near the place. They don't want people near because they're overrun and people are dying every day in our hospitals around the country. Look at the numbers, Peter, in the world. An exaggeration. Are you joking me? Wake up and smell the coffee, man. Late Lunch LMFM Radio. Jerry McDonnell is on the line and he's a good fella. Jerry, how are you? Good morning, Jerry. How are you? Good afternoon. <laughs> well, you're that busy. It could be morning or afternoon, I believe, for all the great work you're doing over in the Kentstown, Walterstown areas. Tell oh, us the story of this little uh, get, group that got together. What's the, the, the story behind it? Well, uh, I can't take all the credit for it, Jerry, as you know. Um, it was started by uh, a neighbour of mine, Fiona Lala, had been in touch with the council. She's seen something up on the, some of the websites about if you want to do a local litter pick, as you know, we're all walking the roads this weather and so nothing else to do. 
and the roads around Kentstown and Bow Park and over as far as Watertown, every road is littered. So she used to help a little. She rang a few people on her block and said, I'll get the bags and I'll get the litter pickers. And so that group was ready to go. Then she rang me. I was at the bottom of the road. And I said, so we have a little group here in Brownstown. We'll get them going. I sent a text to our group. And 10 minutes later, you had 15 people. Yeah, that's no bother. What time? Where? When? What do we have to do? And that was really it. Just we organised it for last hour of the morning. And in the Kent, uh, council, picked up the litter pickers and the bags. And away we were with it. And it just took off. And then Emer Tobin over in Waterstown joined on it as well. And so we had upwards of, I'd say, 20, 40, 50 people picking litter last Saturday morning for two hours. And all staying, we want to say this, because they'll be on to me. You know, they'll pick me up and oh, everything. Oh, no, because we were on our own roads, Jerry. Like, yes. I only had to do about 800 metres, because the next <laughs> crowd took on the next 800 yes. metres. You know what I mean? We didn't yes. even meet up. We, no. we, you seen them, you seen the high vis down the road and you gave them a wave. But like we weren't all going in the gang. We covered I was looking at it since um Louise was on to me this morning. I think we covered upwards of twenty kilometers, if not twenty five kilometers of roadway that Saturday morning. And From a couple the, the, of text messages and a couple of phone calls is all it took. Isn't it brilliant? And, you know, I, I just wanted you to say that in your own words, so as I wasn't uh, saying it, that you uh, stuck within the regulation, social distancing, you didn't pass outside the 5k limit, nobody did that, but with the numbers of people you have, you covered nearly 20k. Now, here's the upshot of this. Tell them what you picked up. Oh, I with there's, um, there's 40 plus bags at my house, boot of a car, Couple of bits of seats of like seats to see at a, at a in a local parish hall, Um then the other group they have way more than us because it was more there was a couple more secluded roads on their group on their trip, and a couple of big open deep ditches where there was carpets, um, you name it, bottles, nappies, oh, sweet papers, coffee cups, lids of coffee cups, like it's beyond it's beyond what you believe what people would throw out of the car, you know, and like it's mm. a couple of them was bags of stuff, like bags of someone went to the trouble of gathering up all the bottles and putting them in a the bag and then throwing them on the side of the road. <sighs> oh stuff. You don't know. really my blood pressure's gonna go through the roof oh, yeah, here. Like I just don't understand that. It's a pleasure going round now since Saturday because 'cause I've nearly walked them all, do say five or six K every day, going a different direction. In the loop, and you know, a little country area, there's loads of little loops to do. So, you do a different one every day, and uh, it's just brilliant to see. There's not a pick of rubbish. Well, there, there is one or two new bits down since Saturday. I've seen a can of beer today, an empty can of beer, and a sweet paper. But, like, compared to last week walking, it's just it's fantastic, and it creates great community spirit. That there's no, no, none of us meeting anyone in the countryside at all, you know. Mm. So, you, you were in touch in the text and you were sending pictures to this one and that one. Oh, look what I found, look what I found. I just created a great little buzz for a couple of days beforehand and even over the weekend and one of the guys was having the crack with me yesterday. He sent a text. I have a wee skip here, Jerry. Did the council come to pick up your stuff? Yes, I might drop it over here. You know, having the messing yes. and having the crack and, you know, yeah. but just created yeah. that, that thing that you're, you're missing in the country when you just don't see that many people. You know, a hundred bags, over a hundred bags, folks, these yeah, people bags. have yeah, collected, yeah. along with those individual items that Jerry mentioned there. And you're saying to me, when you actually go walking now, 
you can notice the cleanliness, how clean it is. And you're looking to see is that there's nothing, there's nothing like it's great compared to like there's a couple of really bad spots like last week, and I was saying. My God, how are we going to get the people to get the stuff out of these ditches? Because, like, there were big open ditches, maybe it could be six or seven foot deep, and there's a lot of water in them this time of the year. But mm. the couple of guys, Prandwellies, got down into the ditches, filled the bags up, threw them back up, you know, and, and it was just one road rang me then. Oh, there's not much in our road. Who's next? Where else can I go? And I said, Oh, the other road is really bad. Go up, keep going up around the corner so you meet the others, and then. You're doing a bit for them, and they are coming down to meet you. You know, so it was Terrific. a fantastic community effort. And it really is. No huge walking into it, Jerry. Like it's it's, mm. it's people are they want an activity. You know, it's it's something to do. But you know, you mentioned there that you notice. It just shows you you notice the can or one or two things. So these. Uh, I won't even use the word because it was used yesterday when we were talking about dog fouling. Well, I'll say it, idiotic people who have no regard for countryside, you know, uh, beauty of nature, communities or anything, open the window or open their boot and just throw it out out anywhere. And look what you gathered. it's It's another epidemic that we're talking about here. But it's not going to win because it's just shown us with a very little, you know, a little germ of an idea that started. Look a minute were involved and look at the difference it's made Jerry. Yeah it was huge and like it was only Fiona ringing me and I said oh I need to get in contact with our group and next thing like that was it it was done mm. half an hour later I had 15 people and then one guy came in from Kenston he uh, one of the ladies minds kids from it he said well I do from Kenston up to your cross and then Ema came in and she done from Waterston over to Fairlands Cross and you know, we got yeah. a huge gap. We even crossed the border with football clubs, Jerry. Like, sent just down into Waterstown. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, you know what I mean? And, and no animosity. Like, it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what you should do? You should have a chat with the DUP and uh, all the parties in the north and the parties in the south. When Look at the way you crossed the borders there. No problem. No one tried to cross me in the car or anything. It was great. No. No, it's, it's it's really good to hear. Well, look, at we just wanted to acknowledge it on the show today because it is a lovely, positive, wonderful story. People are getting out. It's activity. You're making a difference to their own communities. And I say again to people who don't give a damn, please, please think of our environment, the beauty of our landscape, countryside, other communities, what you're impacting as well. You're destroying it for others. And please, please desist. I said it yesterday in another context. I say it today from dumping your rubbish, dispose of it properly. And that person who threw out the bottle, just go to the bottle bank and put them in and they'll be dealt yeah. with properly. Jerry, listen, you're great people. Well done yeah. to everybody. Just, uh, go, go, Jerry, just to, to thank me, County Council, for, for starting the initiative, you know. Yeah. It was just yeah. they are supplying the letter pickers, supplying the bags. They're coming out to pick up the rubbish. Without problem, send an email in. Yeah, there's no bother. Pick up your stuff, recollect it, send us your air code. That's all you had to do, you know. There's a great initiative. Bernadine Finnegan is our local here. She walks in on the environmental part of the Mead County Council. She drops stuff out to some of the other neighbours that we had enough. And it was just fantastic. And the community spirit all spearheaded by Fiona to kicked it off. And then everyone just got on board. It wasn't a thing of begging someone to do anything. It was brilliant. Yeah. 
Jerry, well done to you and everybody concerned. Thank you for uh, bringing us a lovely, uplifting story on late lunch today. Thanks, Jerry. No bother, Jerry. Thanks for the call. Bye bye. Take care of yourself. Jerry McDonald there from Brownstown. Well done to everybody over in the Kentstown, Walterstown and surrounding areas. Yeah, I was listening to it on our news earlier on today and it's posted. Have a look at our LMFM's uh, page, uh, Facebook page or the LMFM website um, and you'll see uh, in a, well, a frightening video, to be honest with you. Uh, the owners of Swans Barn Curraha have posted a video which shows a cyclist being hit at full force by a car. Uh, the car drove through the junction without stop- stopping. It's shocking. It'll frighten you. I'm not joking you when you see it. But it's there on our social media, LMFM. Check it out. Uh, and it will, honestly, make you sit up and think. Think about being careful on the road and speed as well. Thank you for your comments. Jerry. Uh, this is in on foot of our conversation with Sean Collins earlier on, who's doing a series with us right through the year this year. Uh, remembering 1921, Jerry, the Tans were turning a big army lorry at the lane in Lloyd. Lloyd is just outside Kells. And one of them put the gun up to shoot my father and brother at the gate. But another soldier told him to put the gun down. You see, Jerry, a lot of them were Irish lads in English uniforms. And actually, they got no pensions when they left the English army. Thanks indeed for that this afternoon. Jerry, you wouldn't believe how many people are like Peter and believe fake news. They won't wear masks, keep to restrictions. That's why this thing is spreading. Shame on them. Well done to you. So angry. I haven't been anywhere since March except for hospital appointments and I actually fear even going for these, Jerry. Keep up the good work. Thanks indeed for that lovely message this afternoon. And just on uh, the COVID situation, if you get a phone call or a text message to arrange an appointment to have a COVID vaccination, don't do it. Don't deal with it. Don't have any truck with anyone who rings or texts you. It's a scam. And the Guardian are warning everybody about this. The HSE will never text or call individuals looking for your personal information or anything like that, looking for a card for a payment. Because you see, the first point of contact, just to tell everybody this, will be your local GP regarding the vaccination. That's where the contact will come from for the uh, vaccination or if there's COVID testing involved, not anybody else. And remember, the COVID-19 vaccine is free. It's free, folks. It doesn't cost. Now, the Neil Diamond story. He's my featured artist of the week. I continue it today on the show. Neil signed with Columbia Records in uh, late 1962. And in July 63, Columbia released two songs, At Night and Clown Town. Now, they were well received by the critics, but ironically, they didn't chart for him. So he was dropped by Columbia. So he went away writing for a number of years. And really, at that stage, Neil Diamond was penniless. He was living on 35 cents a day. Incredible, isn't it? However, his creative juices were flowing. And he wrote a number of hits for the Monkees, including I'm a Believer in 1966. And his songs were covered by the likes of Elvis Presley, Deep Purple, Cliff Richard and Lulu, to name but a few. So he was writing and he was becoming well known, uh, developing a reputation as a writer. But he wanted to perform himself. So he signed with Bang Records and then a couple of other labels. It didn't go too well for him until he did a deal with Uni Records, who came under the MCA label in 1968. And folks, Neil Diamond was on his way as a solo artist with cracking tunes like this.
Ah, Neil Diamond and Cracklin' Rosie. Just lift your spirit, wouldn't it, on a Tuesday afternoon in January when it's piddling outside and the world seems a dark place and you hear Neil Diamond singing Cracklin' Rosie and just want to get up and dance around the place, don't you? It lifts you. It just lifts the, the juices within the body. It certainly does. More from Neil Diamond and the Neil Diamond story on late lunch tomorrow afternoon. What a man he was. What uh, an amount of records he sold worldwide. A classic Always crackling rosy. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this uh, Tuesday afternoon. And uh, next up on the show, well, look, it's challenging. You know this, don't have to tell you. Many parents listening today with children at home being educated, primary children, secondary school children, exam year students as well, big challenges. What about when they move on from uh, second level education to third level? Well, Many of the colleges, they've traditionally had their open days and they can go along and talk to lecturers, meet students, have a look at the place. Not possible. Not possible at the moment. So what do colleges do? Well, Diffie, Drogheda Institute of Further Education, have a virtual open night tomorrow night. It's a wonderful educational institution. Their principal is the brilliant David McDonnell, and he's with me next. Just had a photographed WhatsApped into me by a listener who's out walking, listening to us on the show, took the picture at Sheep Moor, but three black bags of rubbish just fired in over a barrier there uh, along uh, an entrance into a field. It's just brutal, isn't it? They just never... Never listen. They don't want to know people. There are just some people, you're right there, and I've been told this, some people just don't give a damn. And that's an example of it there. Thanks for sending us in that picture to the show this afternoon. We were talking to Jerry McDonnell a little earlier on about a great job they did in their area. Now, doing a great job in difficult circumstances is the remit of my next guest. He's the principal of Drogheda Institute of Further Education. Delighted to say hello again to an old friend, Davey McDonnell. Hello, Davey. Hello, Jerry, and thanks very much for inviting me on your show this afternoon. Not at all. You're very welcome. Look, you I mentioned it just before the break, these open nights or days or whatever, a big part of people coming to you, students and families, to have a look at what you have to offer. Davy, what's the plan? You can't do it in person. Tell us what you're doing. We, we can't do it, unfortunately, in person. Uh, the circumstances uh, beyond our control at the moment, but we are going to go virtual on our open days this year. And we're planning two of these open days, Jerry, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, one at 230 and one at six thirty. Information all on the Diffie website, www.diffie.ie, for anybody who's interested in any of our course provision. So that's all you do. Go onto the website now. Log on there. All the information is there, and it'll tell you how you can partake. And whatever time suits you, either from two thirty to four tomorrow or six thirty to eight o'clock. You know, when you don't do this in person and you can't press the flesh and they can't come in and see, how are you going to, you know? get as near to that or is it possible to do it Davey or is it, will we just say it is different and will be different this time well I think it will be different I mean last year just prior to obviously lockdown in, in March we had our open day around this time last year we were able to have people come in to view our facilities to talk to our teachers and to look at uh, you know all the course options that will be available for September start now unfortunately that's not possible uh, this year but we try to replicate that in as much as possible We'll have a presentation of our facility. We've, you know, engaged with a company to uh, actually in-house company to, to develop a, a, a virtual presentation of the fine facilities that we have. And we'll have all the teachers on site as well looking to go into breakout rooms at, at the end of the open day so that any questions that any prospective student might have can be answered. 
I think you're doing a wonderful job. And in the circumstances, you're getting as near as you can to the real McCoy. Now, is tomorrow about full-time courses only? Are you looking to students that are, you know, uh, doing Leaving Cert this year or maybe some who've done them in previous years, mature students? What are you talking about? Well, it's exactly as you said there, Jerry. It's both. I mean, we're not, we're, we always have to look six months ahead and we're looking now for actually September intake. Uh, so it's nearly nine months away from now with the prospective uh, students who are going to be doing the Leaving Cert this year um, and also mature students who may be looking to upskill, reskill, or people who unfortunately may be due to the circumstances have found themselves recently trust on hard times and unemployment or are just looking for a change of career. You know, all of those people are invited to our open day tomorrow. Uh, we've been canvassing the schools. I know the schools are, are not in, in present, but they are actually all online. Uh, we have a lot of people looking to come to this virtual open day to look at the facilities that we have, to look at the courses that are on offer, and hopefully to make an application. Because we have a thousand places to offer, Jerry, but we will get 3,000 applications. So early application is always advisable uh, in this case to avoid, to avoid disappointment. So if you're sitting leaving cert this year, if you're someone who sat it in previous years, as Davy says there, maybe uh, you're looking at a change of career. Uh, a change of career has been forced upon you. And no matter what age, Davy, important to say that. Correct. I mean, we're starting, you have to be 17 years of age. You, see, you know, we're not taking, you know, anybody under 17. You have to start at 17, but it can be 17 uh, to, to 100, uh, Jerry, or, or beyond. So it's not... Uh, it, there's no rest- upper restriction, but there is uh, there is an, uh, a lower restriction of 17. All our students must be 17 years of age, and preferably have done the leaving or else have other equivalent uh, life experience. So we, we would have 55 full-time courses. Jerry, they're split over five different departments. Some of these courses will lead to university progression, to university or higher education. Some of them will lead directly to employment, and some will lead into apprenticeships. So there's a, there's a wide range of programs, and there should be somebody... In our in our in our coverage, to some course that would, would suit everybody's interest. So tomorrow is not to be missed. That is the uh, the day when all this uh, is there on a plate for you in an online situation. I was looking at your courses and and the the disciplines as well. I just want to mention them: art, design and technology, business, humanities and IT, sports, leisure and tourism, applied science and community and healthcare. So there's a wide remit there uh, for everybody. Just on that point, um, before we finish up, uh, you know, if you're focusing on perhaps you don't want to go on to university or something like that and you're looking to get into employment many of your courses are focused in that fashion is that fair to say yeah well i suppose like we we, we have a we have a lot of courses pre-university course like pre-university arts pre-university science pre-university law but that's not to suit everybody so we have other ranges of courses for people looking into employment and we have courses in construction studies we've constru- courses in digital marketing with courses in business we've a, we've a whole range of course, I think it's important to, to recognise not everybody's looking to go on to do a higher education. In fact, it could be argued maybe that too many people are looking to go on to do a higher education and we're looking to service the needs of, of the employment as, as well. And so a lot of our courses will lead directly into employment and all of them will have a work experience element in it. So people will actually get to feel out a particular uh, you know, skill or set or a particular job before they actually embark full-time on it. So there's a lot of opportunity out there at the moment, Jerry, as you know, uh, we were fortunate enough last year to win the Education Award for 2020, the best further edu- education provider in the country in this sector. And we think we've got a very good offering. So we're encouraging people tomorrow to log into the Open Day and to see what's on view and hopefully make a very informed decision.
And please, God, all going our way, vaccine rollout, uh, things improving all round uh, beyond the spring and summer. College will be open again, Davy. Oh, there's no doubt of that. I mean, I think we have to look. We have to look forward with a glass half full. I think the vaccine is definitely a game changer, and I think you know, come come odds even for this year, we hope to have some of our students back. Like Jerry, before Christmas, we had 50, we had fifty percent of the students in and fifty percent at home. And then we did that on a week-in, week-on uh, return. Uh, we'd hope to get back to that before the end of this year. We're not writing this year off completely, uh, but obviously uh, conditions and even announcements today would lead us to suspect that that won't be for, for, for a while. But we hope to get our students back in some format. Uh, at the moment, they're carrying on online, and that, that seems to be working well. But there's no substitute for that face-to-face contact. But for this particular group of students we're talking about now for our open day tomorrow, they don't enrol until September, and we would expect to be fully functional at that stage. Great stuff. Davy. you're doing a wonderful job there. The development of that college, led by yourself, has been simply magnificent. And well done on that award last year. Well deserved. Reminding listeners again, Diffie, D-I-F-E dot I-E for all the details. 2.30 to 4 tomorrow and 6.30 to 8pm. One of life's gentlemen, Davy McDonald. thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you very much, Sherry, and the best best wishes to you and, and all your listeners. Thanks, Davy. Thanks so much indeed. Yes, a great college, Drogheda Institute of Further Education. That's almost a lot on the show for today. Tomorrow on Late Lunch, well, we're back to this juggling everything at home. Nicola Cullity is with us. She's a brilliant woman, juggling education and work from the home. She's joining us on Late Lunch tomorrow. Jas Foley's here. His uh, short film has been long-listed for the Oscars. And Tom Conicky. well, if you doubt that COVID is lethal and real. Tom has a story to tell. Top of the show with us on Late Lunch tomorrow. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. We leave you today in the company of the brilliant George Ezra and Shotgun. Have a nice evening. See you tomorrow. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.